Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Derek O'Connell. I'm the high school youth director here at Hillside, and it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, you've been, if you're visiting, uh, this summer we've been going through a sermon series called Bringing Our Lives to God, where we're going through uh, individual psalms one by one and kind of asking the question, how does this psalm help us bring our lives to God today? Uh, this morning we're going to do something a little different. Rather than unpack a single psalm, uh, we're going to unpack a, uh, an idea or a theme that is found in the Psalms pretty consistently. And the theme we're going to talk about this morning is the idea that God is our refuge. Psalm 46.1 starts with this. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. See, we live in a different time, culture, and context, and sometimes there are words or themes in the Bible that uh, hit home a lot more effectively with the original audience and not necessarily with us. And I think the idea of refuge is one of those ideas or themes. You may not know what a refuge is and why it's used multiple times in the Psalms, and so we're going to unpack that this morning, and hopefully by the time we leave you'll understand just the rich beauty and and the depth of what God is our refuge means. Uh, But before we do that, I want to ask a couple of questions, okay? So if you would actually visualize with me a couple of scenarios that you may uh, have had happen in your life before. I want to start with the question, do you know the feeling of searching for safety? You know the feeling and the emotions that accompany just searching for and yearning for a safe place to be. Uh, Most of us in this room have probably played tag before, capture the flag or something like that. And in a lot of these games, there's a safe zone, right? And so if you've ever played one of these games where there is a safe zone, do you remember the feeling of in the middle of being chased, where this guy's got his back, like, you know, do you remember doing that with your back so that you didn't get tagged? And do you remember the feeling when you actually did reach the safe zone and you couldn't be tagged? Uh, Have you ever had a nightmare or a dream where someone is chasing you? Okay, terror creeps up, and as this someone or something is chasing you, for some reason, you seem to be losing steam. Your legs aren't moving as fast as your brain wants them to. Uh, you're, you're freaking out, and then as this thing gets closer and closer, it, it, it's gaining and it's gaining, and just as it's about to reach for you and it's going to be the end, you wake up. You, you remember that relief. Recently here in Michigan, we've had a couple tornadoes. Now, I know this is not what tornadoes look like here in Michigan, but I'm from California, and tornadoes scare me. All right, so regardless of whether or not you're as terrified of tornadoes as I am, do you remember the feeling when the warning came across your radio or your phone? Find shelter. Do you remember surveying and going, ah, am I in a safe enough spot? Is, if the winds come and if they're harsh enough, am I going to be okay? Asking the question, am I safe? And if you weren't safe... Do you remember the feeling when you actually did get to safety? When you realized, okay, things are going to be okay. Do you remember these moments? Can you imagine, can you summon up the emotions that accompany seeking for safety in the midst of crisis and danger? I know I can. Now, here's the thing. I know that capture the flag isn't necessarily a dangerous situation to be in. Um, But for those of us who are competitive... Uh, you, you want to win no matter how trivial or uh, vain it might be. And so you put everything you have into it. And a couple of years ago, we went through a mission trip uh, to Bridge Street House of Prayer down, downtown. And before we served in the mission trip, we went up north to camp in Ludington. And while we were there, we would play capture the flag in sand dunes. Now, I don't know if you've ever ran on a terrain that is both hill and sand. I don't recommend it. It's not fun, and it certainly isn't easy. But we played it, and when we were playing, the flag was a long ways out, 
And I knew, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but most of the high schoolers that I minister to are in much better cardiovascular shape than I am. So if I wanted to get to that flag, I was going to have to work for it. And so multiple times I took off running as hard as my body would allow me to. And sometimes I would get to these high schoolers as I got close and knowing, okay, they're faster than me. This isn't going to end well. I need to get a little sneaky. I need to figure out a way to get around them. My palms would get sweaty. I'd try and kick it into another gear. And if I got close to a safe zone, I would leap from my feet, go fully horizontal, and sometimes land face first in the sand. And that feeling of getting across the safe zone going, oh, I made it. And if any of you have been in this situation, you know the all-too-comfortable feeling of turning around and facing the person who's chasing you and gloating. Ha <laughs> ha, you can't get me. I'm safe. Nice try. I won. I beat you. That's it. Nothing has changed, just a line in the sand, but you're able to face, you were running for your life a second ago, but now you're overwhelmed with this confidence. Thinking about waking up from dreams or nightmares when we're being chased, that moment arrives when we catch our breath. We re-examine our reality. Okay, I'm fine. There is no danger. It was just a dream. And even though we know there's no real danger, our heart rate still goes a little bit, right? I mean, my wife stays mad at me all day for something I did in one of her dreams. I didn't do anything, but it's still very real to her. Um, but if we're being honest, we want to give it a second before we fall back asleep, right? Because we don't want to enter back into the nightmare. But after a moment, if it's still bedtime, based on our knowledge that we're safe and that there's no threat, we fall back asleep. We go back into the very thing that caused us to fear in the first place because we know we're safe. With storms and tornadoes, I vividly remember last year when we had a tornado warning. I was here in my office. The warning came through, and if you've ever been in my office before, there's a lot of windows, and so I got up out of that room, and I left, and I came into the auditorium. I called my wife, who was at home, and I said, please come to church. I'd feel better if you were here in a safer spot. We've got a lot of trees around. I want you to be in a safe space. And so she came over, and the tornado got rather close, but I remember us being in a room where we felt safe, and even though the elements were coming by, that there was a sense of confidence that everything was going to be okay. And not only that, but I actually got a little bit brave, even as the tornado warning was going on, and even if, as it was close to the church, I remember walking up to the front steps, and I even opened the door. Now, you might not think that's very brave, but for those of you that know me and how much of a wuss I am, that was a big deal. But knowing I was in a safe spot, knowing I was in a safe place, even though outside was bad, it emboldened me. It gave me confidence. In these moments where we seek safety, most times what happens is that when we reach that safety, we're overwhelmed with relief, with comfort and joy. We're able to interpret reality through a new lens where we're confident we won't be destroyed and that the source of our fear can no longer control us. And when we get a moment to regroup ourselves, to catch our breath, we're emboldened to face our fears once again, especially since we know we're in the net of safety. We're in the safe zone. Nothing can harm us. And this is the exact opportunity a refuge offered. Okay, I wanted you to think about those times and really try and experience them because uh, when the original audience of the Psalms heard the word refuge, that's where they were transported to. That moment where you reach the safe zone and capture the flag. That moment when you wake up from a nightmare and realize you're okay. That moment when you find safety in the middle of a storm. But the psalmist he points to a much greater example of refuge than I could. Forget all those. What the psalmist says is that our safety from fear, from crisis, from trouble and distress is no other than God. 
God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. So this idea of a refuge, this beacon of hope, this ultimate uh, relief from trouble. Why does the psalmist choose this imagery of all of the things that he could have used to communicate that this is how safe it is to be in God? Why did he choose a refuge? Now, a large amount of what I'm about to tell you actually comes from a book uh, called The God You're Looking For by Bill Hybels. The historical context when we consider a refuge is actually very important, um, and it really helps us understand the depth and the beauty of this imagery, and he just says it in a lot better way. So it's not going to be verbatim, but a lot of what I'm about to say comes from him. And he explains what a refuge is like this. Uh, In ancient Middle Eastern times, there was a fair amount of people seeking for safety. People were in trouble. Now, people were spread out all over, and there wasn't one single judicial system to fall back on. Um, Because of this, people kept law and order through sort of a rudimentary tribal crime and punishment uh, type of way. And if someone in your family was killed back then, what would happen is the entire family would come together, and they would collectively decide on a blood avenger. Okay? This person... Uh, was a representative from the family whose full-time job, the only item on their to-do list, was to find the person who killed that family member in exact vengeance. Uh, And you wouldn't just pick anybody. You wouldn't just pick someone who didn't know what they were doing. It would be someone very capable. And when the Avenger was chosen, they would track down the whereabouts of their target, and when the opportune time presented itself, they would present themselves as their family's blood Avenger. And then the hunt and the chase was on. And as a matter of honor... The Avenger would chase their target until only one of them was left standing. Now, they might take a breath here and there, but ultimately it was their life's mission to find the person who killed their family member and exact vengeance. And for full justice to happen, the Avenger would actually have to show proof of the kill to the family. They would show it, justice would be done, a celebration would happen. Now, we might look at this and think, that's a little bit crude, it's a little bit brutish. Um, You might not be all that wrong, but it was what they had, and it worked for them. And just like any justice system, one of the road bumps that you encounter is when the rule isn't necessarily as black and white to the circumstances. What happens if there are mitigating circumstances that force us to take a second, take a step back and review, is that rule really applicable here? One of the problems they faced with this system was the question, what about accidents? What if the death was accidental? Now, you might be asking, how can there, how can there be such a thing? And we don't want to go into too many examples because most of the time accidental deaths are horrific and it's not fun to think of. But if you'd humor me for one second, just so we can truly understand maybe the urgency that would come along with someone seeking refuge. Um, I had a friend in college, uh, his brother and him jet skied a lot. They grew up with jet skis. They knew how to operate these jet skis. Uh, If you were jet skiing for the first time, you would want to jet ski with one of them because they would be really, they they, they would know their safety, they would know exactly what to do, they knew what they were doing. Well, they would mess around a lot on these jet skis, again, again, because they felt safe with them and they knew that, you know, there wasn't going to be any problems. Well, one day they did have a problem and through a series of unfortunate and uncontrollable sudden circumstances, the older brother ended up hitting the younger brother and it killed him. Now, they did everything that they could. They tended to him. They called 911. They tried to their hardest to make sure that he would not die, but he did. It was horrific. It was tragic, but it was a freak accident. What about those cases? What do we do when someone isn't killed on purpose? It isn't murder. 
it's, God, it's a God-honest accident where, where there's horrible consequences. Should a blood avenger be appointed then in those circumstances? No. But who's to say that that person's innocent? How, how do we figure that out? And who's to say that even if they are innocent, that the family's not going to appoint a blood avenger anyway to go seek them out? This is where our refuge came in. God instructed the Israelites on what they were supposed to do in these circumstances. He says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And the Israelites did exactly as they were instructed. Okay, and they chose six uh, cities for their geographical location and their ease of access to act as these cities of refuge. And once these cities were established, if someone accidentally killed someone, they would take off running. They would enter that capture, of, capture the flag panic mode. They would be being chased in the middle of their nightmare. Uh, they would get the notification that the tornado was imminent, and they sought out safety. And they would run, and they would run, and they would run. And as soon as they saw the city gates, much like probably some of us have done in Capture the Flag, where we left our feet, imagine some of them, when they saw it, they jumped, went horizontal, and made sure that they reached their safety. And once they were in the city gates, take a breath. Establish your new reality. I'm not being chased anymore. I'm safe. And that was the feeling that a city of refuge brought. It was that place in the storm where you could confidently hunker down and know the elements wouldn't take you out. And once inside the city gates, you were safe from the blood avenger. Uh, This is why I like this picture, because you see the person coming through, and then the person saying, hey, stop, you can't come in here. He's made it past. Uh, So they could not come in and uh, be a blood avenger. The city would act as a voluntary, less harsh prison, Uh, to hold you until a fair trial could take place. And then the trial would take place, and if you were found guilty, they'd hand you over to the blood avenger, and I can can imagine what happens after that. But if you were innocent, they would send send the blood avenger home, say, hey, he's innocent, you got to get out of here. And that person could walk out of the city of refuge safe, knowing that destruction was not looming around the corner. That is what a refuge is. And the original audience when they heard God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, they would have, this is where they would, they would have known all of this. And they would have had all those feelings and all those emotions of, gosh, that is really cool. So again, God is our refuge and strength. The Psalms refer to God as a refuge nearly 50 times. Okay, he's also called a rock, a strong tower, a fortress, but nearly 50 times God is referred to as our refuge. And he's referred to that in other psalms. Psalm 62, 8, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Psalm 91, 2, I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. 71, 3, Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my strongholds. This idea that God is a refuge is a central theme in the Psalms. And it's one that the psalmist meant for us to have great comfort in, great peace, great relief and joy. So why that image? Why a refuge? 
And now that we understand kind of what a refuge is and how it operated, I think the reason the Psalms chooses this is because it paints a beautifully accurate picture of God's heart, love, and concern for us in the midst of our troubles. The psalmist wants us to know that when we need safety, that when we need to hide from that which seeks to destroy us, we need not and should not look any farther than the arms of the Father. Just as the cities of refuge offered relief, safety, and comfort to those who ran to them, so does God with our problems, only he's a better, more safe, more powerful, and more reliable refuge. Now, if you're like me, you might hear that historical context and go, that's really cool. Didn't know that. That's, that's a really beautiful imagery, but that's super applicable for them. <laughs> um, how do I take refuge in God today? How do I bring my life? So it, that's, that's really cool that that's how God got separate or made that, you know, work for them. But applicably, I haven't killed anybody. I don't need to seek refuge. But so how, how is it that God is my spiritual refuge today? How do I take refuge in God? Maybe some of the questions you might ask is, how do I even know that I need to take refuge in God? How do I know that I'm eligible? Um, and then if I do, how does that actually practically work? How do I do this in my life today? So kind of that first question is, when do I need refuge? Okay, do you feel oppressed? Do you feel weary? Tired? Fearful? Are you grieving? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you disappointed? Are you lonely or heartbroken? Do you find yourself attacked? And it's, even if you feel these things just for a second, you can take refuge in God. But if you're feeling these emotions, and it's much like the feeling you have in a nightmare where your, your tiredness, your fearfulness, your anxious or depression is like someone chasing you in a nightmare where you feel them gaining closer and closer and closer, and there's just any minute now where it's going to grab you by the shoulders and take you out. If you feel that way, you're eligible for You can seek refuge. Do you see your marriage starting to fall apart? It's just that one more argument, that one more disagreement, and then that might be the end of it. Are you up to your, your eyeballs in debt and are thinking, I don't even know how we're going to pay for the, next, the house payment, and I don't know how to tell my kids. Is every day of work the, la the day that you're liable to just up and quit. I can't take how my boss treats me anymore. My coworkers, they mock me for my faith or, you know, the, the, just the, the, the dishonest practices that are happening. I don't know how to reconcile my faith with my job. I just need to quit. But then what does that mean for my family? Is that panic attack just a second away where you don't know necessarily how to control yourself, but all of a sudden you have a panic attack or anxiety attack? Or do you find it hard to get out of bed just because of your depression? because it's so crippling? Are you waiting for any situation in your life? Are you just waiting for the nightmare to end where you can wake up and go, oh, this is real life. That was just a dream. If so, then God offers you refuge. If you're hearing the footsteps, God opens his city gates and screams, come on in. It's safe in here. I will hide you. And he delights in providing a refuge. It's not an obligation. It's not a chore. It's not a side job. It's not a hobby for him. It's at the very heart of what he does. And it's the essence of what it means for him to be our God. Because of his self-emptying, because of his irrational love for us, it's a joy for him to hide us, to take us in for a moment. 
So really, all of us are eligible for this. All of us need to take refuge. And here's the thing, you might not feel like that right now. You might not feel like, you know what, I don't, life's actually fine. I don't need to take refuge. Well, someday you will. <laughs> I can promise you someday you will need to take refuge. So whether that day is today, whether that day is in the future, know that you can take refuge in God whenever you are in trouble. But how do we do it? Okay? When we know we're in need of refuge, how do we actually take the, the step, the practical step today in actually taking refuge in him? This is going to seem overly simplistic, but sometimes Jesus really just is the answer. <laughs> how do we do it? We turn to God. But more importantly, we call out to God. Uh, and, and Psalm 91.15 tells us this. This is speaking from the perspective of God. He will call on me, and God, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Now, this might seem like a simple or easy thing to do, um, but if you're like me, sometimes God is not the first, second, third, fourth, or even fifth thing that I turn to when I'm in trouble. If I'm going through a troubling circumstance, usually my wife's the first person to get a text. People that I know can respond to me that I can talk over the phone, I'll give them a call. If I need to, I'll go retreat, I'll go play a video game or do a puzzle at my house so I can turn my brain off. If I'm really frustrated, I'll go to the gym so that I don't punch a hole in the wall, that I can just push something heavy and that'll do it for me. There are a host of other places, people, and things that we can try and find refuge in. But ironically, <laughs> the only refuge that can honestly offer us the relief and the comfort and the peace that we seek for in the first place is in God. When we need refuge, all we need to do is actually acknowledge our need for him. And it's, it's really taking that conscious effort of actually doing it. So when I have that situation where I'm like, I, I need refuge, I, I need just a, a break from my troubles, I'm going to text my wife. It's that conscious decision of, no, you know what? I need to call out to God. If you have a routine of kind of winding down, it, and instead of going to that routine and saying, no, I need to call out to God right now. I need to, I, he needs to hear this. If, 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 if what he says is true in his scripture, then I need to make that conscious decision of reaching out to him first. And here's the thing, uh, we move away from our other sources of dependency and cling only to God as the one person that can't sustain us, and we have to believe that. And here's the thing, I don't know how it works, to be completely honest with you. And the irony is not lost on me that a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon about what happens when God doesn't answer your prayers. <laughs> so I, I, I get it. But for me in my life, I have experienced this, that when I call out to God, whether I hear him, whether I feel him, he, he does not make his scripture untrue. He does answer us. Again, we may not see it, we may not hear it right away, but when we cry out to God as God asks us to, he does answer us. So once we've called out, the Psalms show us that the second thing we need to do is that we need to pour out our heart and concerns. Okay, Psalm uh, 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And this is where I think the, the, the refuge imagery is helpful because if someone were to come through the city of refuge, they got into the city gates, they went, okay, thank you. Thank you for letting him not chase me. I'm going to go stay up in that room for a week. Just let him, once he gets hungry, just send him away and I'll be out of here. They'd be like, no, you need to tell us what happened. 
You need to tell us why you're here. Why were you seeking refuge in the first place? We're not just going to let you to hold up here. You need to explain yourself. And much like that, we need to let our concerns, let, let God know the reason why you are seeking refuge. Again, it seems simple, but sometimes all our heart can say is just, God, please help me. Help me. Deliver me. Make this better. But if we really want to find refuge, we need to let him know what's going on. Don't be afraid. You've already made it through the city gates. Weakness is not your friend. Don't act like you've got it all together. Be vulnerable. Give it up. And act like you just woke up from a nightmare. I don't know about you guys, but when I wake up from a nightmare, I don't try and keep it together in front of my wife. I wake up and I sit up. What happened? I had a nightmare. What was going on? I know it seems crazy, but I was being chased by a bunch of cats. Now, you might laugh, but that is terrifying for me. And, and no matter how ridiculous it sounds, you, sit, you tell the people what happened. I know it doesn't make any sense, but this is what was happening. And, and, you, and you hear it. You hear your spouse out and you go, yeah, that seems a little ridiculous, but I'm glad you're awake. I'm glad you're safe now. And, and the, the difference is, is that you might laugh at me for being fearful of being chased by cats, and maybe that's a good thing to do. But the good news is that God doesn't. No matter how irrational, no matter how silly our fears might be, when we let God know, he listens. He hears us out. He is attentive to, the, to our troubles. Let him know what's going on. Let him know what's troubling you. And when you do this, you just might begin to feel the gradual comforting presence of God. Just like someone who made it through the city gates, they need to catch their breath and they need to calm down. But as soon as they're in the city gates and they trust that the process is about to take place, they start to go, okay, it's all right. And if they're innocent, it's, I don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to let this happen. I'm going to be okay. The footsteps you were hearing might not disappear, but they certainly grow dimmer. Your legs start to catch up a little bit more with your brain like it does in the nightmare. But two really important things, we're going to close, but two really important things before we wrap up. We may be successful in taking refuge in God, but that does not necessarily mean that everything outside of the refuge is okay. okay? If we look at Psalm 46, um, we, we see as much, right? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, yeah, though the earth give way <laughs> and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. It's not safe outside of the refuge. We're in the refuge and we can have safety, but it's certainly not safe. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. God is in control of everything. But the nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Doesn't get as serious as that. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Getting inside of the refuge does not fix the problems that we were seeking refuge from in the first place. But the important thing about this and the second thing is that even though things might not be okay, God is in control and he is keeping us safe even in the midst of our fear, even as we survey that which is outside of the refuge, that which seeks to destroy us, even in the psalm, God gives us little reminders in between the freakouts that everything is okay, that he's got us, and that we don't need to fear. 
So you might really be freaking out. God, I'm telling you that, that, that this marriage of mine, one more argument, one more disagreement, and I know the divorce papers are right around the corner. How am I going to explain that to my kids? How am I going to explain that to my family? My life is going to be ruined as I know it. And he says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. You might not know what that all means. It just means God's in control. Okay? God's got it. No, God, I, I understand that, and that's great and everything, but this depression that I have and this loneliness that I feel, I can't get out of bed, and I don't want to go to work because if I have a panic attack there, then people are going to look at me. They're going to laugh at me, and I'm going to be more depressed, and I'm going to be more anxious, and I'm going to have to quit my job. What am I going to do? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Yeah, God, I, I, I know, but seriously, it feels like my whole world is crumbling around me. Look, even you said it. Mountains are falling into the ocean. The kingdoms are falling apart. You just said the earth is melting. Everything is not okay. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. Even when... We're in the refuge. We notice that things aren't going well, but God continues to give us reminders. I, I, I've got you. You're, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be safe. And this is where I think it gets really cool because the psalmist didn't know this information, but we do. You might think, yeah, God, I know, but what if you fail? What if everything's not going to be okay? What if my sin and my mistakes are too great? What if you reject me? What if I have to fend for myself once I get into the city? I can get through the city gates, but what happens when I get to trial and I am found guilty? What are you going to do now? Am I have to fend for myself? And the cool news is that God says, no, that's taken care of. I sent my son Jesus. Your sin is not too great. I will never leave you, forsake you, or reject you. I knew you were guilty. I knew you couldn't pay the penalty. So I took care of that for you. Stop worrying be still, know that I am God, and take refuge in me. I think that's the beautiful part of this psalm and that the imagery of a refuge <clears throat> is that we can seek refuge all we want, but the reality is, is that when we go to trial, just like the whole the process happens, someone gets through the city gates and they go through the process, they might be found innocent uh, because they actually are innocent, but when we go to trial in front of our God, when we call out for, for, for help in the midst of our trouble, we will be found guilty because of our sin, and we will not have a defense for not being thrown out to see death as our only fate. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the safest, the most powerful, the most loving, and the most gracious refuge of all. Because of and through Jesus alone, we can be innocent. Unlike the people back when there actually were cities of refuge, if we enter into the refuge guilty, because of Jesus Christ, we get to leave innocent. And that is not something that they were afforded back then, and that is great news, is that though we were guilty, though we were dead, though death was our only option, because of Jesus, we have life. We have hope. Being in the city of refuge will not eliminate the problems you experience outside of the refuge. Okay, when I opened the tornado door, it didn't make the warning any less real. Okay, but the city of refuge, God's presence, Jesus, it will not eliminate your problems, but it will give you the confidence and the assurance that you need to go back out there when the time is right. You may need to hide in the refuge just a little bit longer, and that's okay. God enjoys that. God 
God loves when you spend time hiding in him. But when you're able to, you're able to go back outside to the, of the refuge and you're able to take on one more moment, one more day. Not by your strength, but by God's strength. By God's protection and by the blood of Jesus alone. Are you searching for safety? Do you need a refuge? If so, turn to God. More importantly, take refuge in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to express gratitude for the fact that you do allow us to take refuge in you. No matter how silly, no matter how small our problems, God, you were there to hear us and you were there to provide us safety. God, would you give us the courage to actually call upon you in times of trouble, to know and to believe that you are a refuge for us and that you are a trustworthy, reliable, safe, and powerful refuge. God, this week as we go into our, our days, it, it, if we need refuge, please, God, allow us to do so. And God, allow that comforting presence, that peace, that relief to transform us to be able to take on one more day. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and thank you for the great refuge that we do have. In your name we pray. Amen.